This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. Speaking of earnings, we did get some this morning from TrueLeave Cannabis. Second quarter revenue beat estimates up 78% year over year. So too did profits beat. Adjusted EBITDA up 57% year over year, beating the average estimate of analysts. So let's get an update on the business. Kim Rivers is chairman, president, and CEO of a Quincy, Florida-based TrueLeave Cannabis, joining us on this Thursday on the phone in Florida. Hey, Kim, good to have you here. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your world and how things are going. It looks like you had some really strong numbers here. Yeah, you know, things are things are going great. We um, continue to see, um, you know, the, the continuation of, of cannabis as really this great American growth story. Um, you know, even in the face of, right, um, or the lack thereof, I guess, of, of federal of federal legalization movement, um, it continues to be really a state-by-state state story. And, and this quarter was no different with uh, strong demand across all of the markets that we operate in and, and really a continued positive outlook in the industry. Well, talk to me about the cannabis regulatory environment. I mean, this is something we have had multiple conversations with many individuals in the industry. And I keep I think we keep thinking we're going to get closer and closer to some kind of federal rulings on it and federal oversight. And yet here we are. What are the indications? What kind of guidance are you getting from uh, policymakers in D.C.? Yeah, you know, I think that um, it's, you know, it's fascinating in that we came from an environment under the previous administration where we really couldn't get any traction in the Senate at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And we couldn't get um, get anything to be to, to, to progress or, or make it at all to the, to the floor. Now we're in kind of the opposite the opposite environment where um, there's a lot of interest and a lot of um, a lot of willingness to get something done. And here we have this proposal that is um, so robust um, that that perhaps it's um, it may be and, and this remains to be seen, of course. And I'm talking about um, you know Senator Schumer's bill. Right. It, it includes. Thing that we could ever want to address, right, with respect to cannabis reform. And, you know, I think that um, the answer likely lies somewhere in the middle and that this is a process at the federal level, like it is with any large policy uh, policy matter. So I don't, uh, cannabis is no different. And we've swung the pendulum kind of from one end to the other. And, and I hope that um, at the very least, I hope that we can get at least some piece of substantive policy uh, legislation passed out of this Congress. I think it would be an absolute shame if, if we were to or if they were to allow Congress to adjoin without um, something significant um, passing at, at, at the federal level. You know, we know that the votes are there for safe banking. And mm-hmm. um, that's abundantly clear. Right. And but, you know, this Senate's position is that that's, that's simply, you know, at this point in time, not enough as a standalone piece of legislation. And so uh, from our from our standpoint, um, we would be ecstatic with safe banking. We would be even more ecstatic if it was, if it was safe banking plus some significant element of, of social justice um, or in, in or uh, criminal justice reform. Right. Um, but that it needs to be something. Right, because so, still uh, on a federal level, it's illegal. Well, what guidance do you have on that? And how much did COVID derail uh, the movement forward when it comes to uh, either a safe banking act or, you know, ending cannabis prohibition? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly, and, and rightly so, COVID is, is top of mind for all of us um, in our personal lives, in our business lives, and, and of course, for, for policymakers as well. And, and that's understandable and, and appropriate. Um, that being said, um, you know, it, it was, I don't think, ever the plain, the, the cannabis policymaking is on the schedule that I, I think that many of us thought that it would be on in that, 
you know, uh, Senator Schumer introduced his his proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, they went into recess. I believe that it will be revisited in, in September. Um, at that point, you know, towards the back half of the year, I think there's going to be additional discussion around it. And we'll decide whether or not, you know, that's the path, if there's enough, if there's enough momentum there in terms of a, a heavier lift or if instead – um, it should be paired back into something um, that may be that may be more palatable for a bipartisan for a bipartisan um, you know uh, the ability to get it passed on from on a bar, on a bipartisan basis, which of course we would like to see as well. Because the reality is is that when you look at the states and you look at what's happening at the state level, you know we just want a license in Georgia, for example. Mm-hmm. West Virginia just issued. We're getting operational there. You look at what happened last November with states like Mississippi passing a medical a medical um, initiative, you know, Arizona going recreational. I mean, at the state level, things are not slowing down. And as a matter of fact, they're accelerating. So, you know, I think it's important for folks to realize that the growth of the industry is not tied to what happens in D.C., um, really at, at, at all. Um, it makes it more difficult from a, I, we just paid $80 million in taxes, for example, <laughs> under 280E. Um, but, you know, handicaps these businesses, but it isn't slowing down demand and it's not slowing down um, forward momentum at the state level. I want to get back to Kim Rivers. She is Chief Executive Officer at True Leave, uh, still with us, True Leave of Cannabis, of course, on the phone from Florida. Hey, Kim, so talk to us about some of the strategies you guys have been working on. You have been making some acquisitions. You've been expanding uh, where you are operational, and that includes Massachusetts, also West Virginia. So give us a little bit more insight into uh, how growth has been going. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, we started in Florida and um, we were in our, the, uh, the market leader, uh, you know, significant market leader in Florida. We have about 20% of the, of the stores and have approximately over 45% of the market here. And that was purposeful and that we really wanted to in, ensure a couple things. One, that we could actually scale a cannabis company uh, in a market that allowed us to do so. And, and two, we wanted to, to get a very solid financial footing prior to expanding into other markets. And so Trulieve has um, certainly a reputation of being the most profitable cannabis business in the U.S., um, and that has allowed us to fuel our growth um, internally and, and really kind of insulated us from the volatility of the capital markets over time. And so, however, um, that being said, we started five years ago, um, really about 18 months ago, we made a strategic decision to begin expanding um, in a hub-and-spoke model across the U.S., and uh, we did that first um, by expanding into the Northeast. As you mentioned, we have operations in Massachusetts. We also have operations in Pennsylvania. Recently made another acquisition there, as well as um, as well as West Virginia and Connecticut. Uh, and then um, we we decided that it was time for us to really take a, a hard look at where we wanted to go from there and which other uh, markets were, were our next moves, and whether or not we wanted to make a, a bigger a bigger move or continue this um, this sort of, you know, state-by-state state or, or, you know, company-by-company company strategy. And, and at that point, we decided to, uh, to kind of go big, if you will, and um, entered into a deal with Harvest um, mm-hmm. Health and Recreation. Harvest is the largest player in Arizona. Uh, they also have significant presence in uh, Pennsylvania and also operations in Florida, Combined, uh, we will be by far the largest cannabis company in the U.S. Um, by any available metric. Um, this quarter, on a combined basis, had we closed the deal, so the Harvest shareholders voted on the transaction yesterday, and uh, we're looking to close here uh, soon. And if we if we were combined today, we would have you know top line 317.6 million in revenue, 122.9 million in in EBITDA. 
We'd be in 11 states, have 140 stores and over 3 million square feet of grow. That grow footprint is about 50% larger than any competitor, and the number of stores is, is north of 30%. So um, we will be the dominant player in the, in the space. And I think important um, also to note is that we also will continue to have uh, industry-leading margins. And so uh, we're really excited about this next chapter. And we, we did it around, again, the strategy of having regional hubs and regional operational excellence so that we can build um, thoughtfully as, again, we face this kind of changing landscape at the federal level. Um, and, and so we're looking forward to closing that deal. And then in addition, we continue to grow organically through state applications, um, which we've talked about here with Georgia and West Virginia and others, because there are new opportunities that are coming right. to the forefront all the time. One thing I want to ask you, how much do you keep an eye on or are you concerned about some of the bigger play, you know, the really big companies, whether it's, uh, you know, a Philip Morris, a Monsanto, a Conagra, who will enter the market and then begin to dominate, especially once we get federal legalization? You know, I think that um, for us, it's obviously important to understand what's happening, right, in, in any industry. And, and we certainly have, you know, conversations and, are, and monitor and, and understand, you know, interest levels, if you will, across different sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think, you know, brand building and, and customer connectivity is, is a real thing. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves on having um, over, well over uh, 75% loyalty metrics in all of our, in all of our markets. Um, we measure ourselves on a same-store sales growth me- metric, on a, a repeat business metric. Um, and so, you know, I think for us, it's all about making sure that when we when we are building our business, um, you know, and, and as we've done in the last five years, that we're always focused on that relationship with the customer. Um, and again, building true uh, that true um, repeat and loyal customer, uh, which we have successfully right. done over time. It's going to be. It's 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 not going to be an easy feat to kind of swoop in and, you know, immediately think that you know that that share can be taken. Um, when unless they buy you, happens. unless they buy you, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess. Um, you know, certainly that's not how we're how we're building how we're yeah. building our company. Um, you know, we're we're focused on on uh, on being a company that defines uh, that defines the cannabis movement in the United States, and um, and that's something that we're uh, we're. We feel like we're well positioned to do. I know uh, Bloomberg did some reporting uh, when they caught up with um, or covering coverage of Tilray specifically, uh, and when they reported earlier this month, and and their CEO had talked about how COVID nineteen prompted more people to shop for marijuana online, uh, and uh, you know just what they were seeing in terms of trends. What are you seeing in terms of demographic trends? Who's buying? Um, how much do you once you get a buyer? Are they repeat buyers? What can you tell us kind of about the internals of who's actually the Consumer, the cannabis consumer. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, it's it's fascinating. We spend a lot of time in 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 the data, if you will. Um, I think we're the only cannabis company that has implemented um, SAP in a true scaled ERP system um, that gives us some visibility to, to those metrics. And um, so our customers are about you know evenly split and um, between between male and female. Um, we tend in medical markets particularly tend to tend to trend a, a bit older um, with an average demographic in say a market like Florida. Um, at about 50 years old, although that's come down a couple of years over time as the market has continued to grow. Um, and, you know, in recreational markets, it, it does trend a little bit a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, back 
also differ between uh, recreational and, and medical and medical buyers with medical buyers trending trending at a higher basket average basket uh, size than than recreational it makes sense you know from a logical right, standpoint right. as well uh, and in terms of repeat customers we have strong repeat buying trends and um, particularly in medical markets and um, you know we we average about 2.8 times uh, per month actually on mm-hmm. the buy and we have Again, strong loyalty metrics. So our loyalty metrics, which is that repeat metric, um, we actually are, right. are north of 70%. So it's strong repeat buy and strong um, connectivity again. Got uh, it. To, to the, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, yeah. it's strong on, on all fronts. Yeah. We love that. Thank you so much because I really appreciate uh, understanding a little bit more about the demographics. Kim, we got to run, but thank you for the update. Kim River, she's CEO of TrueLeave, on the phone from Florida. 